This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. To the extent that income inequality is a problem, it turns out we've possibly been measuring it incorrectly for decades. John Early is co-author with former Republican U.S. Senator Phil Graham and economist Robert Eakland of the new book, The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. We spoke in September. One, how do Americans think about income inequality and what kind of policy intervention does that thinking give us? Well, Americans are told rather systematically both by uh, political commentators and by the official statistical agencies of the United States government that income is highly unequal, that it has been growing more unequal over time. And as a result, there is substantial belief that there ought to be more income redistribution in order to alleviate that uh, inequality. All right. So uh, why is that not true? Well, there are a number of detailed reasons, but the highest reason why inequality is not high and not growing is that the Census Bureau, when they calculate income that is used to calculate the inequality, omits important pieces of information. It does not count two-thirds of the $2.8 trillion in transfer payments that government gives to households, and it does not adjust the income for the taxes that households have to pay. All right. So uh, why hasn't the Census Bureau been uh, more willing to include alternative measures of inequality uh, over time? We can't know for sure why, uh, but the description from the outside that we can observe is they are continuing to follow methods that they used uh, 60, 70 years ago uh, when they first began putting these data together, and at which time many of these transfer payments did not exist, uh, and uh, taxes were a relatively small piece of uh, people's income considerations. And not even as a, an appendix to say, hey, here's well, another would- way... Yeah, that would be a good discussion to have, but we don't seem to have generated any interest in having it. All right. So give me a sense of what income inequality looks like uh, under the official statistics and what it looks like uh, if we include transfers. Well, it would be both transfers and taxes uh, that would be the effect difference. Um, well, the official census measure of income uh, shows a difference between the top quintile, that's the top fifth of the population, uh, versus the bottom fifth as a factor of 16.7 times greater. So the top quintile makes 16.7 times or has 16.7 times more income. But if you add the transfer payments for the low end uh, and taxes for everybody, that difference is only four to one. So they overstate it by a factor of more than uh, 400%. Wow, that is that is stunning. But I will say that four to one still looks like a lot of inequality. Well, it it, it maybe it does, but uh, stop and think about it. Uh, there are here are the reasons why there is inequality. First of all, when you go to work the first time around, uh, you make a whole lot less than you do when you finally retire. On average, people double their incomes over the life of their work uh, over the cycle of their work life. So. Uh, you get a two-to-one difference just because you're 60 years old versus 20 years old. Uh, so that that kind of puts it in context. If you get a 
a degree uh, from a medical school, you can make more income than if you don't complete uh, high school. So the four to one difference is not all that big. Do measures of poverty typically include transfer payments or not? Well, that's also a very important problem because the same income data that census uses for income inequality is used to uh, measure poverty. And because the transfer payments are only one third of them are included in the poverty calculations, when you add the other two thirds, poverty would be between one and 2% rather than uh, around 12%. So it, it cuts it by almost a factor of 10. What are the long-term effects here of this mismeasurement? Well, if you look at the income of households back in 1967 and compare it to the income of households in 2017 and adjust it for inflation properly, you find that 77% of the households in uh, 2017 make income that would have placed them in the top one-fifth of households back in 1967. So that is both a huge boost in uh, overall well-being of the population, as well as it's broad-based. So 77% today make what only 20% did uh, 50 years ago. And at the other end of the distribution, only 2% of the population today makes income that would have put them in the bottom 20% 50 years ago. Your co-authors here are Bob Eakland, who I think I had one of his textbooks in my undergraduate studies on economic history, uh, and uh, Senator Phil Graham. How did you come to work with these guys? Well, that's a good Cato story because I wrote a policy analysis for Cato about four years ago on this very topic, uh, my first pass at trying to bring together all these pieces to a, a, a coherent whole. And then it was mailed out to uh, Cato uh, sponsors by uh, Cato, and uh, it showed up in Phil Graham's uh, mailbox. He looked at it, and he and Bob Eakland were in the process of talking about writing a book on this very topic. So they invited me to to join the uh, uh, the effort, and uh, since then, the three of us uh, worked hard to put it together. John Early is co-author of The Myth of American Inequality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. We spoke in October. It's that time of year when I ask you, yes, you, to show your support for this podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute with a gift. You can visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. And thank you.